Thank you for listening to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. We pray that as you listen to the following message, that it will encourage you to continue to connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and with others. Hebrews chapter 9, beginning with verse 16. In the case of a will, it is necessary to prove the death of the one who made it. Because a will is in force only when somebody has died. It never takes effect while the one who made it is living. This is why even the first covenant was not put into effect without blood. When Moses had proclaimed every command of the law to all the people, he took the blood of calves together with water, scarlet wool, and branches of hyssop and sprinkled the scroll in all the people. He said, this is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you to keep. In the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tabernacle and everything used in its ceremonies. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. It was necessary then for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these sacrifices, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again the way the high priest offers the most holy place, enters the most holy place every year with blood that is not his own. Otherwise, Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But he has appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many and he will appear a second time not to bear sin but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. What an interesting chapter. What an interesting passage. It begins with God talking about a last will and testament. How many of you have a will? Raise your hand. How many of you have a written will? How many of you have updated it in the last five years? Raise your hand. Okay. God here is talking about a will. Now, a will is supposed to help surviving family and friends dispose of your estate after you have passed away. Many people will use a will as an opportunity to send a message beyond the grave, either by punishing potential heirs with nothing or perhaps by giving away something fun or unusual to remember them by. I read about uh, a famous man named Anthony Scott, who in his last will and testament said this, To my first wife, Sue, whom I always promise to mention in my will, Hey, Sue. (laughs) You may remember the magician Houdini, Harry Houdini. He was born in 1874 when he... Uh, died in 1926 of a ruptured appendix, Houdini left his magician's equipment in his will to his brother Theodore, his former partner. He left his library of books on magic 
to the American Society for Psychical Research. He left the rabbits that he would pull out of his hat to his children, the children of his friends, and he left his wife a secret code. Ten words chosen at random that he would use, he said, to contact her from the afterlife. And his wife held annual seances on Halloween for ten years after his death using this secret code. And, of course, Harry Houdini never appeared. You may have heard of the Vermont tanner, John Bowman, who believed that after his death, his, he, his dead wife, and their two daughters would be reincarnated together. And so when he died in 1891, his will provided a $50,000 trust fund. This is in 1891. It would be a sizable amount. He provided a $50,000 trust fund for the maintenance of his 21-room mansion and mausoleum and the will required servants to serve dinner every single night just in case the Bowmans were hungry when they returned from the dead. And this stipulation that was inaugurated upon his death in 1891 was carried out until 1950 when the trust money ran out. Patrick Henry, the Revolutionary War patriot who is famous for saying, give me liberty or give me death, in his will stipulated that his wife would get all of his estate. However, he further stipulated that she would lose all of it if she remarried. And so upon his death, she rejected his estate and promptly married his first cousin. Dusty Springfield, the British singer known for such hits as I Will Follow Him, made her cat a priority in her last will and testament. Her will stated that the cat was to be fed imported baby food and serenaded with Dusty Springfield's songs. Additionally, the singer also arranged for the cat to marry his new guardian's pet cat. Eleanor Ritchie the heiress to the Quaker State Oil Corporation, passed on her $4.5 million fortune to her 150 dogs when she died in Florida in 1968. The will was contested, and in 1973, the dogs received not $4.5 million, but $9 million because the estate had grown. By the time the estate was finally settled, its value had jumped to 14 million, but only 73 of the 150 dogs were still alive. When the last dog died in 1984, the remainder of the estate went to the Auburn University Research Foundation for research into animal diseases. Last will and testament. Hebrews chapter 9 is a chapter in which the writer of Hebrews speaks of God's new covenant with us as a last will and testament. A last will and testament. Did you know that God has a will? Did you know that He has a last will and testament? Did you know that He had one and at one point in history He updated it? And did you know that when He updated it, He put you in it? Isn't that amazing? 
I, I would venture to say that there has to be, there have to be people here who have never thought about the fact that you're in God's will. I'm talking about his will and testament. Now, you're probably not in God's will. But you're in God's last will and testament. There are several things that this writer tells us about God's covenant, his testaments, his promises. And the first of the things that I want to share with you is this. God's promises to us are much like a last will and testament. God's promises to us are much like a last will and testament. A will becomes in force only upon the death of a person. Verse 16, in the case of a will, it is necessary to prove the death of the one who made it Because a will is in force only when someone has died. It never takes effect while the one who made it is living. Now, let me me throw a question out to you and me. All right, are you ready for this? Now, I know that you know, I think you know, I hope you know that we all are sinners. And I, I, I think you know, I hope you know that we all, given the opportunity, will sin. Sometimes we sin unintentionally. Many times we will sin intentionally, but we are sinners. We will sin. The chances are very, very high, astronomically high, that every person in this building will commit some kind of sin before nightfall this day. So here's the question. What is the only solution to stopping you from sinning? What is the only solution to stopping you from sinning? It's a very, very obvious and practical answer. It really is. You know what it is? You got to die. The only way that you and I will stop sinning is if we die. When I die, it's not physically possible for this old body of mine to sin again. So death is the one solution to stop you from Sinning. It's always been that way. In the Old Testament, death was required in order for sin to be dealt with. Verse 18, this is why even the first covenant was not put into effect without blood. What does that mean? Without the death of something. When Moses proclaimed every command of the law to people, he took the blood of calves, dead calves, together with water, scarlet wool, branches of hyssop, and he sprinkled the scroll and all the people with the blood. He says, this is the blood of the covenant. Covenant. Let me throw out some words to you. Covenant, testament, will. They all mean the same thing. We think about the Old Testament and the New Testament, and uh, uh, we have lost these, the perception of testament, meaning a will. When we speak of the Old Testament, we're, just, we're not just speaking of the 39 books in the first portion of our Bibles. We're talking about God's first will and testament. It's His covenant. A covenant is an agreement. And it was an agreement between God and God's people. It was a testament. He was saying, this is what I'm going to do for you. This is what I will give you. But there were stipulations to it. Just like in a normal will, there are things when a person dies that they will will to their family and friends, but there are often stipulations to those things that go out. And so you had this Old Testament, which really was an old agreement, which really was a will and testament that God put together 
upon the death of something. And according to the writer of Hebrews, at some point, God decided to update his will. A fairly good number of you raised your hands when I asked if you had a will. A very small percentage of those of you who raised your hand raised your hand again when I asked you if you had updated it in the last five years. Chances are, a good number of us either need to have a will and don't have one, or we have one and it needs to be updated. God had a will, and he decided that it needed to be updated. And so he updated it. The New Testament is a new last will and testament that replaces the Old Testament, the old last will and testament. Do you understand what I'm saying? The New Testament is a new will by God. It replaces the old will that God had under the Old Testament, including its laws and rituals and sacrifices. There are some similarities in that the old, the old will required the death of something because death is the only thing that will resolve your sin problem. The only way you can stop sinning is to die. And so now you have this New Testament, and it too requires the death of something in order to deal with sin. And so God had an old will and testament, and now he has a new will and testament. And that leads me to the second thing I want to say from this uh, chapter is this. This new will or covenant is a vast improvement over the old will. It's a vast improvement. Now, you would hope that if you update your will, anytime you update your will, surely you hope and plan that it will be an improvement over the old one. For God, his last will and testament, which is our New Testament, was a vast improvement over the old one, and it was an improvement in four different ways. Number one, Jesus is the person dying. You see, every time there is a will, in order for that will to take, a, to take uh, uh, force, someone has to die. I have a will. That will will not go in force until I die. In the Old Testament, uh, it required the death of people to deal with their sin, but God allowed them to substitute animals instead. But it was a poor substitute. It didn't work very well. God knew that it wouldn't work very well when he offered them this alternative. He knew when he set up this sacrificial system in the Old Testament that somewhere down the road, he would have to update it to something new and better. And so now, under God's new will, it's not animals that have to die. And it's not you and me who have to die, even though it's our sin that needs to be dealt with. But Jesus is the one dying. But Christ appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. That's verse 26. Verse 28, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. So Jesus is the person dying. That's that's an improvement over the old will. But not only is that an improvement, but secondly, Jesus is also the attorney pleading our case. Now, If you have a will and you die, and that will is super complicated. When you go before, uh, when your family goes before the judge, your heirs go before the judge, because of the complicatedness of that will, if it is complicated, you may need an attorney to accompany you to deal with that will. 
in the case of God's new will, Jesus is the one dying, not animals and not us. And second, Jesus also is the attorney pleading our case. Listen to this, verse 24. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands that was only a copy of the true one. But listen to this, are you with me? Instead, he entered heaven itself now to appear for us in God's presence. He's appearing on our behalf, in other words. He is the attorney who is pleading our case in the instance of God's last will and testament. He's the one dying, but not only that, he's also the attorney pleading our case. There's a third reason why it's better. Jesus is not only the person dying and the attorney, but he is the executor ensuring that, what we, re- that we receive what God has promised. He's the executor. Verse 28. Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, and, listen to this, he will appear a second time not to bear sin, but to do what? To bring salvation to those who are waiting for Him. In other words, to bring to us what God has promised for us in His will. In His last will and testament. So Jesus is the one dying to put the will in force. Jesus is the attorney pleading our case before God. And Jesus is the executor ensuring that we receive what God has promised. There's one more reason why this is a much better deal, a much better last will and testament, and here it is. We are the ones who receive God's estate. We are the ones. I want you to listen to what Paul says in Romans. He says, now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Now, someone would say, wait a minute. If God has a last will and testament, it would seem uh, logical that Jesus, his son, would be the one who would receive all of the estate. Well, that's true. That's the way a will works. But here's what God has decided to do. Yes, he's going to give his estate to Jesus, the heavenly father, giving the estate to his son, Jesus. But also, God has adopted us. We who were not His children biologically, God has adopted us through faith, through our faith in Christ, and therefore we stand as joint heirs with Christ. We are brothers and sisters with Christ. He's not only my Savior and my Lord, He is my brother. And you would think that God would still give Him the bulk of the estate because we're not biologically His. We're adopted through faith. But that's not the way God has worked. The Bible says in, in the Paul's letters that we are joint heirs with Christ. Even though we don't even come close to, to being on the standing of the Lord Jesus Christ, in God's eyes, when He looks at us, He sees us as standing on equal ground with Jesus in terms of our inheritance. That's pretty amazing. That means that this last will and testament, as far as we are concerned, is a vast improvement over the old one. It definitely deals with our sins. It definitely provides the death of someone whose death could really make a difference, not the the death of of goats and lambs and calves and birds, or even of, of any of us. Our death would mean nothing in terms of our 
eternal life. But here we have a last will and testament that actually has some meat in it. It actually has some calories in it. It actually is meaningful. The final thing I want you to see is this. You and I have a decision to make with regard to this will. We must choose whose death will deal with our sin. Your sin and my sin must be dealt with by the death of either you or Jesus. If you want eternal life with your loved ones in heaven, with God in His direct presence, with the glory and the wonder and the beauty and the majesty that heaven must be, then you must rely on Jesus' death to deal with your sin. However, if you don't want to do that, And most people in our world do not want to do that. That leaves you one option, and that is that the only way to deal with your sin is by your eternal death. Because you see, you and I are sinners, and there's only one way to deal with our sin. There's only one way to stop it. If I could go to the drugstore and get a prescription to stop my sin, I would do it. My insurance wouldn't cover it, but I would do it. If there was a way that uh, I could do some sort of exercise every day that would stop my sin, I would do it. If there was some uh, 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 small list of to-dos that I could follow to deal with my sin and do it every day, I would do it, but the problem is it takes death to deal with your sin. And it's either going to be your death or it's going to be the death of Jesus. Verse 27 says, people are destined to die once. The King James says, it is appointed unto man once to die. And then the judgment. It is destined for us to die once and after that to face judgment. The question is, when we die, will it be our eternal death that is required to deal with our sin or will it be the death of Christ? Christ died to deal with your sin, my sin. The question is, which death will we choose to deal with our sin? And you and I have to individually make that choice. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for updating your will. Thank you that we don't have to rely on our own death to deal with our sin. And we don't have to rely on killing a goat or a lamb and all of that mess to deal with, to deal with our sin. Thank you that we don't have to do that. Thank you for updating your will. Thank you, Lord, for being the one whose death resolves our sin problem. Thank you for being the attorney who pleads our case before God, the judge. Thank you for being the executor who ensures that the heirs receive what is promised. And thank you, Lord, for allowing us to share with you jointly God's estate. 
heaven and eternal life and abundant life that begins here and now and, and just transcends death to go right out into the afterlife in heaven. Lord, I pray for people in this room right now who do not know you as their Savior. I pray, Lord, that someone would come and invite you to be their Savior and Lord. Lord, I pray for people who need a church home and they need to come and join Palmetto Baptist Church. Lord, I pray for people with concerns on their hearts that need to be brought before this altar to you. God, search our hearts. Lord, move upon us. Change our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.